Welcome to the Vince Del Monte Podcast Show, where each week we bring you the raw and real experiences, lessons, and timeless principles every man needs to master the five M's of manhood. By sharing conversations with the world's most successful people pursuing the five M's, you'll build muscle faster, achieve a winner's mindset, increase your money, dominate your mission, and go the distance with your marriage. My name is Vince Del Monte, entrepreneur, author, pro fitness model, and father. And I've helped tens of thousands of men transform their bodies and lives through muscle, entrepreneurship, and personal development. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's begin. Why do we do the things we do? What drives us? We all want to be happy, but what does that mean? I found the answer after serving in Iraq with the U.S. Marines, overcoming PTSD, and winning a war against alcohol that pushed me to the brink of suicide. Through years of research in neuroscience, psychology, and spirituality, I discovered the secret of fear nirvana. Success and happiness are not waiting for you out there somewhere. They are waiting for you in the here and now, in the pursuit of a meaningful challenge worthy of who you are and who you want to be. The journey won't be easy. You will struggle. You will confront your demons, but that's not a bad thing. The greater your demons, the greater the divinity required to defeat them. The path to enlightenment is not to escape your fears, but embrace them. For if you don't seek out that worthy struggle, struggle will find you anyway, as it once found me. Rising into my fears, I slowly climbed out of that abyss. I found Firavana while mountaineering in the Himalayas, skiing across a polar ice cap, and even in the terrifying silence of pure stillness. So which path do you choose? I invite you to never stop chasing fear, or you'll spend your whole life running from it. If you're ready to take on that battle between the part of you that wants to quit and the part that wants to fight, you will enter the doorway to your next awakening. In that moment, you will experience the bliss of fear Vana. Hey, welcome back to the Vince Del Monte podcast. It's been a little while since we've had a guest, and today we are with Akshay Nanavati. Uh, we are fellow members of the $100 million mastermind, and uh, he told me about his um, brand new book, Fearvana. I watched the trailer, as you guys also just heard. And uh, first of all, Akshay, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, brother. Really appreciate and, it. And I, uh, I know, uh, you know, this um, book has been rooted in a lot of uh, personal experiences and mm-hmm. a, a lot of uh, demons that you've had to fight. So mm-hmm. I don't want to waste our time. Why don't you just uh, take us back and kind of help us understand your uh, upbringing, your story, and and uh, you know, until we get up till till today. What got me here? Yeah, for yeah. sure. So I grew up in India. Was born in India. Moved around a lot. By the time I was 13, I had moved to Austin, Texas. So lived in four different cities by then. So as a result, when I moved to Texas, I was very lost, not sure of my path of who I wanted to be in the world, and adapting to the environment around me and just finding ways to fit in. Not really being me, but just fitting into what's around me. So when I got moved to Austin, soon after moving there, I got heavily into drugs, into alcohol. I don't blame my friends. I take responsibility for my behavior today. But, you know, back then as a kid, you're just molding into what you have around you, right? So I, being this kind of person that I still am today, I was the one pushing the line further and further. So me and this one other guy were the first two to start going into harder drugs. He's no longer alive today. 
you know, I lost two friends to addiction and that could have easily been me. Like I used to cut myself. I still have scars on my arm, burn myself, was just in this very, very dark space and very self-destructive space. And it could have easily sent me to my grave. Thankfully though, I watched the movie Black Hawk Down. You ever seen that movie? Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love those shows. Yeah. Super powerful movie. That movie was the trigger that changed my life. Overnight, stopped doing drugs, decided to join the Marines and do something more meaningful. Help for friend, anyone who hasn't seen Black Hawk Down. Yeah. What was it like? Sure. What, so it's what a prompted you. It's a war movie based on a true story, and in the so there's a lot of scenes of courage on display in that movie. But there's one particular one that really triggered me. There's the scene where two two uh, snipers, two Delta snipers, they're in a chopper, they're flying above the ground, they're in a sort of relatively safe environment, and they volunteer to go to the ground to set up a defensive perimeter for one of their soldiers who was in a fallen chopper in a Black Hawk that had crashed. Michael Durant was his name, mm. and so Gary Gordon, Randy Sugar, they volunteer to go to the ground, knowing that thousands of armed enemy personnel are heading their way and not knowing when reinforcements would arrive, just two of them to set up a defensive perimeter. They both ultimately died. They were killed because of a vastly superior uh, enemy force, but they received the Medal of Honor for their courage because they, I mean, just the choice, they made a conscious choice to do that. And watching that was just, I mean, the kind of human being who voluntarily puts himself in that position in service of somebody else, you know, it was mind-blowing to me. So so up to that point, yeah, what was what were you seeking and what was uh was it environmental or was it what was missing that you were you know fulfilling with the drugs and uh the you know self uh yeah infliction etc it's a it's a great question and i think that you know when i look back at my life i was just that became my channel to push to push the limits the drugs and alcohol cutting myself i mean it was my vehicle for pushing the line as far as i could go that, pers- that, that, that personality trait is still there today, but obviously now I do it in much healthier ways. But it happened, I happened to fall into that. And so I wasn't, I, I was just looking, I mean, I was at a point, I would have done any drug that came my way, any drug that came my way. Thankfully, more did not come on my way or we might not have been here having this conversation. But I was just looking to push that line. And watching that was now I found, because in, in the movie, I mean, it's a, uh, Army Rangers and Delta Snipers. These are special forces. Delta is some of the best soldiers in the world, right? So that once again, now was like, it was it, watching people at the extremes, at the mastery, at the highest level at their art. Like my art, if you will, was drugs. And I was pushing that to the highest level, mm. right? And uh, now I just, it, it became obviously a much healthier path. And I also realized I was living this very selfish, meaningless, self-destructive, not for anything greater than my self-existence, you know? So when I watched that movie, I then actually, right after watching the movie, I read the book, started reading book after book after book on military and life and combat. And what drew me to it, not to say that I'm sort of a war junkie, but war is this experience that brings out the very worst and the very best in humanity. You see people doing awful things, right? Just the atrocities of war. But you see people sacrificing their lives for others. And the appeal to me, that same personality of looking for the extremes, drew me to that, to the, to that opportunity, if you will, or to that, that experience, to experience humanity at its most extremes. And to see what it would draw, not just in myself, but to, like, to, to, to really feel that and to experience humanity at that level. Wow. So you, you shifted from essentially, you, you knew, did you always know like there was something missing in that pursuit of like that void you were, that, that vehicle, if you will, that were, you were using to kind of, you know, feel like you were doing something with yourself? Was that, did you know that was like, you shouldn't be doing it and, and you just want to try and find something else and you hadn't found something until you saw that movie? I never really, you know, I was not one of those kids who would like at 
10 years old knew I'm going to be an entrepreneur or, you know, at five knew I'm going to play tennis. Like I'm moving around from Bang- Bombay to Bangalore to Singapore to Austin. I mean, you know, I had, I was like, in, when I was younger, I used to play a lot of sports running. Uh, and, and even then I would always want to be the best, strive to be the best. I remember in Singapore, I would run barefoot on rocks just to tr- strengthen my feet. You know, oh. so I was this kind of person looking for the edge in every way, gotcha. but not clear in how I wanted to, what not clear in what pursuit of mastery. And I think part of it is just by moving around a lot, it, it, it the being sort of shifted every time I moved. I'm like, okay, now I'm in a new environment again. Who do I want to be? Who do I have to adapt to? So, so how did you manage to shift? Because, you know, those kind of drugs, you know, even fitness and, uh, you know, making money and chasing girls, like there is that, there's that dopamine hit, right? Yeah. You get that, you get a high. Yeah. And when you start serving, I mean, those aren't things that get recognized in the public eye. Those aren't things that, to, you know, give you that same kind of rush. So, so how, did, how did you not get pulled back or how did you kind of, you know, I'm sure you, you were tempted to kind of go back to something that was a little more exhilarating. But like, how did you manage the, the transition from, because they're, you know, different yeah. chemicals and temptations totally. and everything. Totally. No. So, so what I did was when I got out of Marine Corps boot camp, and I mean, I you know joined the Marines. It took me about a year and a half to get in because I have this blood disorder that two doctors told me would kill me in boot camp. So I kind of fought my way in, got into the Marines, and in the Marines you definitely experience a little bit of that adrenaline rush, right? Yeah. Uh, shooting. I'd never shot a weapon, shooting weapons, and going on rifle ranges, doing all these intense, hard things. I mean, I remember one day sitting there like watching tanks roll by me. I was like, man, I'm like in the movies, you know. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> and then going in infantry school, launching mortars, stuff like that. But when I got out, I had to seek out. So to your point, I had to seeking out other ways. So I got into outdoor sports. Like I used to free climb rock walls without rope. So I mean, talk about a high, like you have to be completely in the zone when you're climbing 60, 80 feet with no rope. I mean, one miss, one slip and you're dead, you know? So I got into rock climbing, skydiving, mountain climbing, ice climbing, ice diving, cave diving, just any pursuit, like nature became my playground to get that high that I had once sought with drugs. Now I was looking for again in positive ways and I, that, that's, it eventually pushed me into ultra running. Now I did struggle again later, like after the war I struggled with alcohol and man, it's same thing, just like I did with drugs. I, got, I was at a point in my life, man, I was drinking like a bottle a day. I would drink till I pass out, wake up, drink again and this would go on for like six days straight until my body just could not take it. So I struggled with those demons a little later as well. Who snapped you out of it? Like, was it self-accountability? Was it a coach? Was it peer account? Was it rock bottom? Was it your body couldn't handle it? Like, sometimes, you know, I always say pain is God's best teacher. Absolutely, brother. (laughs) You know, absolutely. um, (laughs) What What are some of the like things that you would caution people to? You know, like, hey, man, you need to get help before, or you know, you don't have to go through what I went through. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You, I mean, you, I, I hit rock bottom. I was on the verge of suicide, man. I was like minutes away from put the, walking over to my kitchen, picking up a knife and slitting my wrist. This was again, after the war, struggling with PTSD, with depression, severe alcoholism, just in that dark way, but to prevent getting there. And now what I do, I mean, obviously I'm sober now, like in a good, good, good space, but like you said, pain is God's greatest teacher, or I like to say that pain is the only true driver. Pain is the only true driver for change. So you have to activate pain enough. Like when I work with people, sometimes what I'll say is that my goal is it not to like it's not on me to change you. My goal is to activate the pain enough so that you decide to change yourself because gotcha. pain is the only true driver for change. So you have to activate that. So what I'm constantly doing to look for the gap between where I am now and look and where the next self is is what is the pain I can activate. 
how can I activate a certain degree of pain? And I look at, okay, maybe I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm doing very well now. Like business is going good, money, like money, fitness in every area. But in order to stay, go to the next level, I have to activate pain. Okay. I don't have enough money for X, right? Okay. This is how I'm going to hold on to that pain and use that as a driver to take my business to the next level. Interesting. So yeah, play that out for me. So are you sure. thinking about like what it's interesting because we're talking about pain and not pleasure. I, I love for you to, <laughs> you know, as a sales guy, one of my favorite topics is what do you emphasize on the call? Do you talk about escaping their nightmare or talk about going yeah. to heaven? And I, we always see the conversion rate skyrocket <laughs> when you really just find out what they're trying to escape from. Yeah. And it seems like so, so that's really interesting, activating pain and, and, and trying to figure out like why you can't stay stuck. Like what's it costing you? Because I think exactly. a lot of people live in a state of comfort. Exactly. Yeah. And, and comfort can be a kind of a disguised, you know, it's almost like, it's almost like a pain, but it's disguised. And, and I believe like comfort that's comes from the devil. You know, I don't mm -hmm. believe comfort comes from, from, a, from a positive place. Because when you're comfortable, you're out of the game. Absolutely. So, so how do like, how do you like kind of get just being here in Joel's place and seeing what he's doing during his time here? I'm like, Oh, he's going to write ads right now. I got to go write ads. Oh man. Ads are hard work though. I'm like, I got to activate that pain because my, my house doesn't look like Joel's house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, so, so talk about like just some like ways you kind of dig into, cause it's almost like, uh, I think we live in a society where a lot of people will say, oh, you're making six figures. What, 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 what's wrong with that? You're making seven figures. Oh, what's wrong with that? Like, and people will constantly like do completely the opposite. They'll tell you just to, you're not in pain. Why do you, would you want to activate more pain? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. Right. So one part is exactly what you said. Surround yourself with people who are further along than you. I mean, in the hundred million mastermind, dude, I'm like one of the lowest in the, <laughs> in the totem pole there, you know, like in terms of my skills in online, I'm relatively new to this world uh, compared to like the masters that there are. So I come into that room and I feel like the stupidest guy in that room, but that's a good thing. I want to be in rooms right. where I'm the stupidest guy in that room. What, what kind of pain was activated for you at the last event? <laughs> Sorry, just to cut you off. Total, no, total lack of self-worth, imposter syndrome. What the hell am I doing in this room? Everybody's way better than me in this art. But, but, but the cool thing is now I can notice that and realize it's not true because uh -huh. I don't care what my thoughts are. Like I know I am not my thoughts. Like this is a key thing is like you're not your thoughts, your feelings, your experiences. You are the thinker of your thoughts, the feeler of your feelings, and the experiencer of your experiences. So there's a space between what is the thoughts and the feelings and who you choose to be outside of what is. And more often than not, we don't control that, the thoughts and the feelings. They show up and who cares what they are. Like, I mean, the feeling, like here's a very specific example. You know, right now, if I'm sitting in this room, somebody comes in here with a gun. I'm not choosing to feel fear. My brain's going to register a fear response. I don't choose that. But what happens is we get attached to our thoughts and our feelings. This is why people don't use that and take action because, I, oh, I am this thing. I am depressed. I am sad. I am weak because I'm thinking this. You're not. Like you is whoever you choose to be. That's why I also don't believe there's a self-defined. There's only a self to create. So you're always going to be looking at who is the self I want to create. And the self you want to create is not defined by these thoughts. Like as, even as an example, when I reached out to the Dalai Lama to get an endorsement for my book, it took me five to six months between the first point of contact, which itself took me a few months, and finally getting that. And the whole time, every time he didn't email me back or the, the monk I was in contact with there, I would go, oh shit, they hate my book. They hate me. They don't like me. They're, they're, who am I? I was an unknown, like completely unknown yeah. author, right? Nobody knew me. Why am I going to? And I had these thoughts, but I was like, okay, cool. Be with the thought, but don't be defined by the thought. And I would follow up anyway. So now in that room, like we have the next one coming up soon, right? 
I will probably feel stupid again and that's okay. <laughs> but like, uh, but I also know that I'm having the best months since that event. You know what I mean? Part of it, obviously that's doing the work, but it's because you up your game by choosing. And again, it doesn't mean you, like the number itself doesn't matter. It's not about right. six, seven, eight. It's about yeah. what does that mean to you, right? Yeah. Like what do you, why do you want that? What does that really mean? And I'm then you go from that level. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, it's good. I'm glad you're touching on that. I don't want that idea to escape because I think a lot of people on the outside don't understand why someone would want to go to seven to eight figures or why someone want to go from eight to nine figures in business. How, why don't you kind of share like why you can't stay at six figures, why you can't yeah. stay at seven figures, why you can't, you know, because I mean, for me, it's because I'm accepting against comfort and yeah. I'm not pressed through to you know new territory or leaning into my edges and it's like you know what i've kind of given up on the process because the process is painful and i think that you know what i've learned is you know we all everyone's famous for quoting this i want to experience the best version of myself these days or that's what my life's all about but then when you look at their life it's the com it's completely incongruent because to experience potential you need to go through process and process is painful nobody Absolutely. wants to go through pain so it's like Oh crap! I forgot about that part. So, so <laughs> yeah, you're gonna just speak to to um, you know, why you can't stay where you're at because you're already doing well. Yeah, exactly. Right. Absolutely. And so to your point, again, it's because it's not about the like, whether it be six, why we're striving for six or seven or eight or nine figures is not about the number. It's about the person you become on that journey, mm. the evolution that happens. So that's just that becomes a, a, a small symbol of really your evolution. This is why people, for example, who win the lottery don't really improve their lives or change the quality. Of, you know, they lose their money fast and it doesn't change the, who they are because, yeah, one could say, oh, I made seven figures. You, I mean, if you win it, you're not changing as a person. It's the process. It's the suffering. It's the pain that you go through in the evolution that transforms you. So why I'm seeking more, and this is not just in the business category. I run harder. I train harder. Like in every category, I'm upping my game to the next level because the evolution is what matters. And not just for myself, because if I'm making more money, I'm also impacting more people. So the lives that I get to touch when I, when I, when I grow my business, I'm inevitably reaching more people. And I see, like you, I mean, you know, you see the impact your work makes. And right. that is, you can't do that at a certain level. You have to scale to the next level to make that greater impact, but also for that inner transformation that happens. Talk about like the levels of fear, because I want you to talk about Fearvana in, in a moment, but like, I'm just kind of thinking about my investments over the years. Like at first, um, you know, if you asked me to make a 15 K investment right now and do sales consultant, but like, yeah, sure. Here's my card. Yeah. Uh, it's like, Hey, there's a great coaching program. I'm like, Oh, this would be awesome. And it's 50 K. I'm like, uh, yeah. Okay. No problem. I'll wire that tomorrow. But then they say it's a hundred K for the year. Like, Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> now all of a sudden I'm like, hang on a second. I got to think about this. Yeah. What just happened there. Yeah. I mean, what that just happened there. That ups your, like, because you're pushing into a new level of discomfort that you have never experienced before. And that's where everything lies. Like, you're going into a space that, like, like that was the biggest investment I made, man. And it was terrifying. Terrifying. <laughs> yeah. So, what is it about that number? Like, what are we, what are we, what were you afraid of? Like, what am I, what, what are we afraid of? Like, why wasn't yeah. it a, like, a no, it's funny because at 50K, I would have said, yeah, it's a no brainer. Yes. But a hundred K, I'm like, hang on a second. I got, hang on a second. I can't make this decision. Like, yeah. what just happened? Because it's, it, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a much bigger investment than we've ever made. So it's so much beyond what our comfort level is. And we don't know, is that going to pay off? Do I have that money? Do I, is it going to be a risk? And if it's like something like, like you said, 10K, I'd be like, all right, yeah, if, you know, we, I've done that before. So anything we've done before, our brain has references to say, this thing is not scary. I've done this. 
and it's shown me that I can survive this risk. Here's a new risk. I mean, our brain reacts, whether it's dropping 100K or a gun in our face, into our brain, fear is fear. It doesn't matter what the thing is. The content of that fear is irrelevant to our brain, fear is fear. So when we haven't done it before, not to mention 100K has an anchor price point to it, right? Like that's six figures, seven. Now, ultimately, these numbers are arbitrary, but we have anchors in our society that have been created to 100K. I guarantee you, if it said 95K, it would feel different. You know what I mean? Because we've created kind of these primers, priming and anchors around certain numbers that that's why we price certain things also certain ways, because it means even though it might be like just a small number more, it feels different. So anything discomfort. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, it's okay. Yeah, I want. Yeah, yeah. Take me through your process. So, like, when I are, was it like, like, is do you, are are you training yourself to immediately like jump into the fear? You kind of have to still have it. What's your process? Yeah. Like, you you go talk to somebody. Do you kind of step back, give yourself a, or is it like, oh, I need to do this right away? Like, it's at this point, I'm very sort of well trained in uh, in fear, so I don't necessarily talk to somebody. But there's total value in that, like having somebody, you know, coach, a mentor, some counsel to get out of your own head because we're we're trapped by our own paradigm. But another thing I always like to say is that fear propels you to prepare. So when you engage fear, it propels you to prepare if you engage it. Yeah. So what I do is I engage my fear. What am I scared of? Why am I scared? What's the worst case scenario? How do I prepare for that worst case scenario? And I delve deep into the fear to understand. So I was terrified of making this investment, right? So what am I scared of? It's a boatload of money. (laughs) You know, I could lose it and nothing could come from this. Is it worth it? So I understand, okay, what's what's the rewards? What's the what's the payoff in this? Who am I going there? So you get to understand it as opposed to just retreating from it. And I do this in all contexts. Like when I spent a month dragging 190 pound sled for 350 miles across Greenland terrifying. I mean, somebody died the following year on that ice cap at minus 40 degrees, right? So what did I do? Fear propels you to prepare. I engage that fear. Same thing while writing a book. I was terrified of writing a book because I was like, oh, what if I get that one star review on Amazon? What if it's garbage? So what did I do? I studied from great authors, people like Jack Canfield, people like Tim Ferriss. How do you write a good book? And because I was scared, I wrote a good book. I mean, I must've trashed a hundred thousand words worth of work, not exaggerating. That's a lot of months of work. Mm. But my fear drove me to drive, write, write a better book. If I was not scared, I would have put just anything out there, right? Who cares? I'm not scared. So now anytime fear shows up, I know, oh, this is awesome. Okay, because it's leading me to something. So part of it is engaging the fear. Like, you know, like I said, fear propels you to prepare. Part of it is the clarity. What do you actually want? A big reason why people don't, aren't moving through their fears is because they don't know what's on the other side of it. Like, what's the reward? And then, you know, is it worth like, I don't have to engage every fear. I'm still to this day, a little nervous on spiders. You know, I'm like, whatever, you know, I I don't care. But uh, there's certain fears that I engage to build confidence. You can do that, like jumping out of planes. I was terrified of heights. I jumped out of planes just to navigate and to train myself in fear, but having clarity on the other side of it. And then you can visualize the other side of it, visualize the obstacles, visualize the the, the, the rewards. Am I, is this worth going there? You know, having that clarity will give you the, the desire to move through your fears. Another really great technique they've shown is to think about your goals in the context of something bigger. So when you do that, like some, someone else, someone you can serve, they've actually shown it can help release oxytocin in the brain, which is the sort of love chemical. And what that does is it won't eliminate the experience of fear, but it helps you move through it. They've done a lot of studies to show that when you think about your goals in the context of something greater, it'll help you perform better. It'll help you move through your fears. So that's one thing. And then one thing I also do, I actually have this poster up on my wall right in my living room. It says, you will die soon. So look at the consequences of not engaging that fear. <laughs> the wow. fear of inaction should be greater than the fear of action. And so I have a reminder every day saying you're going to die soon. 
is it, you know, like, is that, is that worth it? And that's how actually I finished my book. Cause to be honest with you, I was procrastinating a bit. And I said, imagine if I die, never having shared this message, you better get to work brother. You know? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's, um, there's an interesting analogy. Have you heard about the, um, the basically if, uh, uh, 12 hour clock was the equivalent, sorry, 24 hour clock was the equivalent of your lifespan and what time it would be right now. Hmm. So if, I the have average, not. If, so if the average lifespan for a male is 80, I'm 40 right now. Huh. It's well, it's 12 o'clock noon. Oh got, man. I that's a powerful thing. I got yeah. 12 more hours on the clock. My dad shared that with me today and it's kind of, it was very sobering. Cause he's like, yeah, it's uh it's 6 PM for me right now. And oh, man. You yeah. kind of think of it in context to like, there's a, there's a clock ticking. Ticking, exactly. And, and um, I, I love to kind of hear, you know, to bring it back to, you know, you're, you and I are both businessmen. Um, you get somebody on the phone who's interested in working with you and, and you can clearly tell fear has been operating their life. Uh, just give me some of your, you know, in the trenches lines, kind of just kind of things that, you, you know, you would say to somebody in a tough, but in a loving and challenging way, just because you know, they need a breakout and yeah. So, so someone's just, let's give, I'll give you an example. Uh, I'm afraid of debt. I, I have the money. I could hire you right now, Akshay, but I'd have to put this on a credit card. I'm afraid of debt. I was told debt was bad. Just kind of like help me understand that this mindset, this fear is the thing that's been holding me back forever. And if I don't address it right now, like how would you just kind of coach me through that? Yeah. So what I would do is I would dig deep. I would start by saying, you know, why are you afraid of debt? What's scary about that? Sort of start, we'll start digging deep into there. More than likely there's either they've heard it somewhere, some reference has been implanted. So we'll dig deep to understand that fear. Like I was, like I was sharing how even I do the process myself, right? Like, what are you afraid of? What's the worst case scenario? Okay, cool. You're afraid of this thing. What's the worst case scenario if you go there? What do you, where do you think that will take you? So you, you're delving into their worldview, right? Mm. So you're understanding, what are you scared of? Where will that take you if you put yourself in that? Like what's, what's, has something happened in the past that has led you to create this fear? Mm. And you're understanding a little bit about their worldview and their paradigm. And then from there, you're also getting, you're, you're hearing and you're getting leverage points that you can then use to help them reframe their own fears. Mm. So let's say, for example, you know, they, I'm just throwing out the top of my head and maybe if you have something specific you could say, but like, I, I was scared, I got into debt and I, I don't know, I lost my home a few years yeah. ago, right? Yeah. Something it like that. It took us a long time. We just got out of it. We don't want to go back into it. It took us a long time to get out of it. Okay, roger that. So it took you a long time to get out of debt in the past and now you have this paradigm. So I get it. You don't want to go back. So you're also kind of empathizing, understanding. I fully get it. Why would you want to go back into it? Well, let's talk about when you got out of debt. What did that create for you? And so we'll start, now you start painting the picture, right? Like, okay, this is what I got. These are the things. Okay, so do you believe that by taking XYZ action, it will lead to XYZ reward, right? Okay, so you took this action and it led you to a certain space. Hmm. So what you're doing is you're planting the seed saying, I get it, you create a paradigm, the debt, but ultimately it's not about the debt. It's about the fear. It's about the context, not the content. You had hmm. fear about a scenario that got you to a certain place of pain, but you took action and you got to a certain place of pleasure. So how do we, so the question is, do you still want to advance that? Or do you still want to stay stuck? The question is not about the debt. The question is, do you want to stay stuck? You can stay here and debt free and not get anywhere and just stay in a static place. But I like to think that you're either growing or you're dying. Would you agree with that? Do you think you're either growing or you're dying? And if to me, staying static is, it might as well be a death. Sure. So it's not about debt. It's about leverage to improve to the next point. 
So you're, does that make sense? Like what I'm that, saying? That, that, that was, that was really good. <laughs> no, no, it make a hundred percent sense. Yeah. I, I liked how you framed all that and that, Hey, you can keep this. That's, but are you aware that you'll stay here? And yeah. What, so like, I mean, you've asked great. Them, so what's your belief, Pat, you know, what's your belief yeah. around and about around staying stuck versus growing, which one are you going yeah. to live with? Yeah. No, that's brilliant. And you're not saying I'm going, you're not like saying, Hey, you're going to go back into the debt in the same way you are. You're basically framing it that this is not debt. This is the opportunity to scale to the next leg, just like you, because they, they, they had to implement imprint a certain beliefs, resources, and paradigms to get from their previous pain to their current pleasure. So we're tapping into those same beliefs, resources, and paradigms to say you're actually in a new pain and there's a new pleasure. And this is just the vehicle to get there. Huh? I, I love it. So, so, so we've, we've talked about essentially, you know, reframing fear as almost like an opportunity, mm -hmm. you know, something our pastor uh, says he's known for saying is that fear is the path to freedom. Love it. Or fear I love that. Always precedes freedom. So it's, it's just, it's a recognition that, yeah, of course, of course you're scared. Like you yeah. should be scared. And it's a whole reframing that it's like, if you're not scared, that's the problem. It's like exactly when one guy say, I'm not scared. It's like, well, it might mean that you're not pushing. You're not exactly. <laughs> so it's almost like, exactly. I don't want to hang out with the guys that are fearless. It's like, you yeah. don't want, and I, I understand where they're coming from. Don't get me wrong. You know, that it's more of a courage thing. Not a, I was telling my little girl when we're in the water, it's okay to be scared, but it's not okay to be a coward. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> I, man. And I, I tell her, uh, you know, so how do we overcome fear? It's not, it's okay to, so I let acknowledge that it's okay for fear to exist. Which I used to awesome. think like there was something wrong with me. If I woke up, I wake up every day scared. <laughs> I, I wake up every day scared, but what I also yeah. wake up every day with is faith and I belief. It. And I, and I, it's taken me a long time to realize that these two emotions, faith and fear can coexist. Absolutely. And I used to think, why am I so scared? I mean, there must be something wrong with me. Oh, it's my parents. I'm like, no, you know what? It's just, it's actually just, yeah. How do you kind of just acknowledge the fear in a way that it's like, I'm scared right now without like over, like you said earlier, like without overthinking it and letting it paralyze you. The, the big problem is exactly what you said is the demonization of fear. And that's why, which is why I love that you said that you, you, with your daughter, you're saying it's okay to be scared because so many people say, don't be scared, mm. be fearless, overcome fear, conquer fear. Mm. It's this idea that fear is somehow bad. And we do this with so many emotions, fear, stress, anxiety, guilt, you know, anger. There's our quote unquote negative emotions, but oh, there yeah. are no negative emotions. Huh. There's just emotions. Right. And so fundamentally at the core level is when you stop demonizing any emotion and accept the isness of it, you can do something about it. And I'll give you an extreme example of this, how I like with guilt. So when I came back from the war, I struggled with survivor's guilt. I had lost a close friend of mine to the war. Um, and for a long time, I mean, that's what drove me into the darkness. Like, why am I here? Why do I get to be alive? Why do I get to be happy when he died, when so many others have suffered and died out wow. there? And everybody told me, don't feel guilty. Like the therapist and people who care, and I get it, right? Uh -huh. Why? And rationally, I get it. War is unpredictable. Bullets fly where they fly. You can't control it, right? Uh -huh. Rationally, I get it. But emotionally, it didn't change the fact that I was guilty. And so uh -huh. as I was in my own healing, what I learned was, okay, guilt is not bad. How do I make it work for me? So uh -huh. what I did was I put a picture of my friend up on my wall, and it said, this should have been you. Earn this life. Wow. That's an intense thing to look at every morning, right? But that fueled me. 
that fueled me until it did not like anything it can take you too far so i mean here you know you touched on this earlier too is that what got you here won't get you there so a certain thing might work until it doesn't and so now that i also realized recently that guilt was getting me too far and i just was was struggling in a different kind of struggle and so i actually changed it and i you can see i have it here a picture of his tombstone and it wow. says honor his death earn this mm. life wow so that's that's his uh, his tombstone corporal jacob neo and so wow. I look at that and it's, and so honor his death is very different than this should have been you, right? Few words, but very different emotions attached to those words. But the thing is the guilt worked until it did not. So, so the coming back to the point is that fear, stress, anxiety, guilt, whatever it may be, these are not bad things. They're showing up for a reason hmm. and you got to understand them. And a big thing I highly advocate is stillness. You know, mm. I talk a lot about suffering, going into spaces of pain, but be still. Sometimes you just got to shut up and be still. With We live in a world of just constant distractions, you know, so be still with yourself. Like I take that to the extreme level as well. So I spent just a few months ago, I spent seven days in pitch darkness, isolation, and silence. Like pitch can't see darkness? Your, can't see your hand in front of you, darkness. Just completely how darkness. The heck, how the heck did you do that? There's these places called darkness retreats where you go and there's the dark, like literally you cannot see your hand in front of you. Windows are blacked out. Everything, complete darkness for seven full days. Okay. So I got to be the guy that says this, like, isn't that extreme? Like, do you have to do that? I want to, I want to, I'm curious. No, I'm just genuinely curious. Totally. Like, yeah. you know, I'm just thinking what, what's wrong with just kind of turning your phone off for, for one day a week. Kind of thing. I'm, I'm curious, like what, totally. what compelled you to do that? So you don't have like that. That's an extreme way to, to engage stillness. No doubt about that. You don't have to like, yeah, shutting off your phone for an hour, meditating, you'll find stuff there. But like anything, the further you push into the edges, the more you're going to find, you know, so the, the deeper you go into the extremes of any context extremes, like, like, you know, you mentioned faith and fear. So there's all these dualities in life, right? Like darkness and light demons and divinity, life and death, you know, uh, suffering and bliss. There's all these dualities. And what I like to do is explore the edges of each dualities. Because when you go further into the edges of each dualities, you actually start to see that the duality can come together as one and coexist as one. And it's not, but again, we live in a world that demonizes one side of the duality. Like let's look at another one, like ego and humility. Ego is bad, right? Ego is bad. Ego is not bad. If you want to be great, you have to believe you're great. And the best sure. athletes in the world are examples of this. You hear any athlete who's at the top of this game, they talk about how great they are and they know it right? Like Muhammad Ali, Kobe Bryant, Michael, like they all used to be like, I mean, when Tom Brady was selected for the Patriots, he went and told the owner, I'm the best decision this organization's ever made. Like, look at the ego on that. But there's right. a reason why, you know, he knows it. Obviously, you put in the work to build that kind of confidence. But the point is these dualities, we demonize one side, but they actually can coexist. And in the darkness, I experienced this in a very visceral level, like you literally see light in the dark. I mean, day five of the darkness retreat, I saw this blinding white light, blinding white light. Like, I mean, like I literally was touching my eyelids like this. I couldn't, I could no longer tell if my eyelids were open or closed. And I felt like I needed an eye mask to sleep and light and dark is coexisting as one in the most profound way. And if you think about that, not just literally, but figuratively, what does that mean for the world? Right. It's okay. So, so, so was that, <laughs> yeah, no, I want to, so yeah, I was, that was going to be my next question. How, what happened? You know, what, how did you come out different or what aha moments? Like what? You know, did, were you glad you did it? Like, would you do? Oh, it without again? a doubt. Uh, yeah, I would definitely do it. In fact, I've thought of my next book eventually. Not wouldn't do this now. I'm just busy with the work and stuff. But I want to go and spend like a good month in the darkness and just write my whole book in the dark because I was journaling when I was in the darkness retreat. And this, holy cow! Yeah. <laughs> so again, the stuff that came through was deeply profound. And I say came through in a way you'll get this. Like with Fear of Anna, I feel like I wrote that book. With the darkness retreat journal, it was like something coming through me 
you know? Interesting. And, uh, yeah. How important is just, you know, uh, Carl Lentz, Pastor Carl talked a lot about this too. I thought it was awesome. You know, it was, it was a conversation that you rarely have at a business event, which was just listening, you know, being an expert listener. And, you know, there's different contexts to listening. But like you, you, when you're still, you're listening, you know, there's, there's thoughts. And, and yeah. I'm just curious to know, I want to hear your, you know, maybe even suggestions, advice on the importance of like, you know, just practically unplugging, you yeah. know. And I think a lot of us just live in this vortex of like, if we got, you know, knocked out, we wouldn't even know it. It's like, we're yeah, living, we're living in this like dream. Like, yeah, just the importance of unplugging, listening, kind of letting their thoughts, you know, listen yeah. to your thoughts and how important that is to you and how, totally. you know, your advice for others to maybe get more of that. For sure. You know, and I get it with people like us, you're busy business. So sometimes you think if I stop, I'm not working, right? Well, I everything's going to fall apart. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but one thing that I've learned and I would highly say stillness is not the same as doing nothing. Stillness is not the same as slowing down and being static. Like I believe if you're either growing or you're dying, but stillness is not like doing nothing, not staying static. Stillness is going to actually accelerate your evolution. It gives you that white space, which will get new thoughts, new ideas, new right. creation to evolve at a faster way. So there's multiple ways to do that without having to go spend seven days in darkness, obviously. Like there, and then this kind of breaks the two point. There's two kind of ways to meditate. One is you, you know, you're closing your eyes and you anchor your thoughts to your breath. So whenever a thought comes up, you're letting it float out, right? You're focusing your thought on something, either a mantra, your breath, whatever. The other way, which people don't practice this other way as much in my experience, this is sort of the more common way. The other way, which I think both have value in their own way. The other way is you actually let your thoughts go where they go and you just notice them. You're not, you're not, you're not sort of letting them go away like you would, you know, you're not anchoring your thoughts to your breathing. You're letting your thoughts go run wild. And so I learned this exercise from an endurance cyclist friend of mine. What he would do is he would sit still staring into a wall, eyes open, just staring into a blank wall. Obviously, no TV, no music, no painting even, so no stimuli to engage you. And he would do this for up to 12 hours and then go cycling for 12 hours. So imagine just sitting, sitting still, staring into a wall for 12 hours. And I think he would even do it for 24 hours. Why do you do that? Because your mind will take you to some places that you will, and you will find some stuff within. I mean, this, the lady who runs the darkness retreat told me that she's had people who go in there and they will like process childhood horrible trauma that they didn't even think was holding them, you know, hold like being, but, but somewhere in there, when you really be still stuff will show up and that stuff will show up, will be challenging. It's hard confronting yourself. It's hard listening to yourself. It's hard confronting those demons within, but through that, you will actually learn to, I wouldn't say defeat your demons, but actually make them work for you and rise above them. Like your demons can become your greatest access point to your divinity. Like I mentioned in the example of my guild. You know, as another quick example of that, last, uh, last year I ran 167 miles across Liberia to help build a school. And on one of the days of my run out there, it was about a marathon a day for a week. I had this aching pain in my shin. It just wasn't going away. I was limping. It wasn't going away. And then I started bolting and sprinting. And the whole time while I was sprinting, it was the last five miles for that day's run. I was saying things to myself like, you should have died in the war. Remember, Neil? That should have been you. Suck it up. Earn this life. People are in pain right now. If you quit now, you deserve a coward's death. Now, these were dark, demonic, like sort of the sure. demons, right? Tapping in dark things to say. Yeah, but yeah. that was the fastest five miles I ran the entire trip. And sometimes your demons will become your greatest allies to accomplish your goal. And I'm not saying you always need that. Like you get, other times you tap into joy, into bliss, into light. But when you explore both reaches, both edges, you now have access to each at will. That's yeah, it's fascinating to, to just consider the um, different places you can access. Um, when you say, you know, how, how do you do this 
component here, like you said something really interesting, your demons can access divinity. How do you do this in a way that is, is, is still, I'm not sure what the right word is, but um, it, it's done properly, I guess, you know, not in a way that's like using anger to like succeed yeah. or like, you know, operating with a chip on your shoulder your whole life. It's like, yeah, yeah, I get that stuff. But at the same time, now you're living a life to prove something and you know, that, that, that's a life whenever you're trying to prove yourself based on what you're doing or what you're wearing or how much you have, that's, that's a war you can't win. Now you're actually, totally. trying, you're actually fighting the wrong fight and you're actually probably captured by that. So, so how do you kind of manage, like which demons are worth kind of like allowing to, you know, push you, yeah. and, you know, kind of give you a good nudge, but not, I don't know if I want that thing always pushing me. Totally. That, you know what I mean? That could be self-destructive too. Absolutely. Because it could be a, it could be a mountain that never, that never ends. Yeah, no. And it's a, it's a great, great point and a great question. And the way I would say you navigate that is when it's, there'll be, there will be a certain kind of discomfort that shows up. And this is where, like, if you, if you don't pause to be still, you can't notice it. So you, when you notice it, when you start going into those spaces, you explore the other edges of the duality. So if like, for, so for example, you know, I mentioned that like I'm big into this, I'm big into exploring suffering, going into spaces, I run ultra marathons, but I just noticed how much I was seeking suffering that my life was, I mean, I got far in my life, but everything right. was miserable, man. Like I was not happy at a core level, you know, it was just grit that was getting me through. And so I realized this. And so what did I do? I went into the other edge of that duality, suffering and play. So I became more playful. I looked at play and I started doing things like doing silly. Like I would go to these events and do silly, like dancing things, which I really struggle with. Right now, I'm not saying I have to go there, but by exploring the edge of that duality, I can say, okay, you know what? Now I'm always going to be the guy who's going to be leaning towards suffering rather than play. Right. But I brought in play to my experience of suffering. I brought lightness to the work, lightness to the joy, brought in play to the, just as a mindset and how I approached my life. Even more example, my guilt of, uh, of the, in the war, you know, losing my friend, losing my friend in the war, like that guilt got me far. And that was that demon, if you will. But I just realized I was living my whole life in guilt. And I noticed it by being still like, for example, when I was in India, I would spend time with my family. And I noticed that if I'm spending time with my family, I felt guilty. I wasn't working. If I was working, I felt guilty I wasn't with my family. And I realized that no matter what I was doing, I was always feeling guilty. And I was like, okay, clearly guilt has gotten me this far, but it's a problem now. Let's look at it differently. And something interesting happened on that note. So when I, I shifted it to honor his death, right? And then the other day I was cleaning up my house and I found a folder where I had a picture of my friend and it still had the old words. It said, this should have been you earn this life. And I, for the first time since the war, I saw that and, I, and, and a thought entered my head where I said, I'm glad I'm still alive. First time since the war, I felt that. And immediately I felt guilty for thinking that, right? Oh. How, do I, how can I possibly feel okay that I'm alive and he's not? And I just was bawling tears, like bawling tears. And I just had to pause. I stopped cleaning. I just sat with myself crying. But it was such a cathartic experience because the first time since, my war, since the war, I actually felt that I'm happy to be alive. And that's really, I mean, it sounds simple, but it's so powerful, you know? And it was a different kind of discomfort that led me to discover that, that, that demon, if you will, had gotten, gotten me to where it's gotten, but now I need new, a new, something new, you know? Well, it's, it's really awesome to hear this journey you're on, man. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's, I'm uh, excited to continue to hear more discoveries as you keep exploring your edges here. Um, Are you uh, in a, a relationship or married or anything? I'm not married anymore. We were married, uh, not anymore. Yeah, that was another 
challenge. I broke my sobriety after that happened, went into some dark spaces again, but came out again uh, on top. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I just asked because, uh, you know, I, I find that, you know, relationships are, will, will test you more yeah. than some, like if you're, if you're looking for some suffering, uh, I was going to actually post an infographic soon. If, uh, if marriage, parenting, and business is easy, it means you're not doing it right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm just saying, you know, there's a yeah. lot of different ways that, like, you know, I'm oh, thinking totally, about a lot man. of people who follow my work. How would I incorporate some of this? And sometimes like what you're talking about sacrifice and, uh, you know, sometimes infliction of pain for an entrepreneur would be to shorten their workday. Exactly. Or not to work on the weekends. Exactly. Like that, that can be, and, 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 you know, your spouse probably doesn't want to hear that because she's like, no, these are your kids too. You, this is part of your your, your responsibilities just shouldn't be seen like that. But at the same time, us entrepreneurs can kind of feel like, you know, yeah. It's just, anyways, I don't know if that makes sense, but totally makes uh, sense, man. Like I actually think of like for me and I was sharing this with another entrepreneur just yesterday, actually, funnily enough that for us, because we both were people who have embraced the extremes, the mundane is the extreme. So just to your point, the real suffering could be not working, you know, because, and I heard this analogy, which hopefully will be valuable from actually a friend slash partner and mentor. He said, you know, when, when somebody says, okay, get from point A to point B, you and me, and we're having, let's say we have a cycle, right? All we'll do is pedal as hard as possible, sacrifice, sleep, pedal, hardest to get there as fast as possible point b point a to point b and there's it's it's challenging but he said the real challenge is actually stopping breaking down this cycle and building a car and it's like it's a different kind of discomfort you know you get the, the analogies it's a different kind of discomfort but that's how you get there faster and you have to notice when that different kind of discomfort shows up it's not just about pedaling harder and harder and harder and that's my go-to like i'll just grind it out and i realize that okay i have to step into a different kind of discomfort so for me now the mundane is the extreme and it's the same exact to your point. Like, yeah, it's taking time off might be the, the, the real suffering and right. maybe ex- explore that and see where it'll see where it'll take you. And, and, and yeah, exactly. That's, that's, that's a great way to wrap up because yeah. Um, and for me, I can, I can even just kind of share. It's like, wow, my identity was way too wrapped up in my success. Mm. And, mm. and really my identity should be in who I am as a father and who I am as a, as a, as a husband. And I'm like, huh, I found way, the reason why it feels like I'm suffering when I'm not working when my week should you know I hear Russell Brunson say this I'm like dude you just made me feel horrible <laughs> I heard him say this on his podcast the other day work is just what I do around my family I would mm-hmm. I will that's where I want to be where where work is family first and actually I just fill the extra time with work where most of us have work first and then we fill work with our family they kind of mm. get the leftovers yeah and when i kind of felt like why are the weekends so slow why can i not wait till monday that was a huge awakening for me where i was like you know i've decided to build a life around not finding my identity in just my numbers Beautiful, and my, my financial success but i want to be known as somebody yes is successful but also um is okay doing this without sacrificing value. So I, I like, I love yeah. what you said, because when you go into those extremes that are uncomfortable, you're going to discover things, things are going to show up and you're going to have to be forced to confront them. I, yeah. I, I think that's fantastic. Is that the premise of Firvana, the Firvana, uh, just kind of wrap us up with, you know, what Firvana, you know, just, the, the punchline with Firvana. Sure. Yeah. Firvana is that bliss and fear do two seemingly contradictory ideas can coexist and fear is an access point to enlightenment and bliss mm-hmm. itself. So going into those spaces, you will find something. And then from there you get to decide what you do with it. So I'd like to say Firvana helps you find, live and love your worthy struggle. That's what it's all about. Feel 
find find live and love your worthy i call it your worthy struggle i don't like that term follow your passion because it often conveys the idea that the path will be easy so i call it your worthy struggle it might be building a business i have a friend who's about to be a grandmaster in chess i have another kid i'm mentoring who's a nascar driver so they're each one of this is a worthy struggle but the reality is which is your struggle what's your worthy struggle and what fearvana is about is finding living and loving your worthy struggle feeling loving and living your worthy struggle yeah fine love that yeah thanks brother And where can people find more about, uh, about you, actually? How can they follow you on, uh, online, and where can they get a copy of your book? Uh, Instagram is Fearvana. Uh, my website is fearvana.com, and the book is on Amazon. All the profits as well go to charity. We support some beautiful causes, so just to let you know that you know, the, the, it would support some really noble work we're doing. So, yeah, you can find me at fearvana.com. And, and just in 60 seconds, because uh, we jive right into our interview today, what, what, are you, what are you up to these days? What are you looking forward to here? My next big expedition is I'm skiing under the Northern Lights for five days, polar training, minus 40 degrees. That's the next immediate one coming up. And then after that, oh, building the Fearvana Empire. So I'm excited, man. Will, will that be before the April uh, Mastermind? That'll be before April Mastermind, yeah. Going okay. in the Northern Lights polar expedition. Oh, jeez. So you have to tell me all about that. Okay, for sure, brother. Well, well, uh, well, be strong, be brave. Thank and, you. Uh, Thank yeah, you. I, I'm excited to hear uh, how you get tested and uh, – what uh, what the suffering uh, produces, brother. <laughs> yes, sir. Thank you so much, brother. You're welcome.